Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever. Yes. They've let the old man out today, so. It's a joy. It's a joy. Earlier this week, I thought I was going to be really, really sick. I, they said I had the flu, and but uh, got over it in like two days, which is uh, a good reason why you get your flu vaccine at my age. It kind of made it easier. So I'm glad to be here and uh, delighted to be able to offer a word this morning. There is a, uh, a prayer that comes up. Most Many, many prayer books have it printed in it. Uh, I first ran across it in the uh, early 1990s, so it was pre to uh, years previous to my becoming Orthodox, but I was doing a lot of Orthodox stuff. And uh, the prayer had the, the really alluring title, uh, The Morning Prayer of the last elders of Optina. And I was really, really, I just thought, ooh, I mean, it sounded like you could make a movie. Uh, you know, the morning prayer, the last elders of Optina. It's actually very similar to a prayer by St. Philaret of Moscow. Uh, and I don't know if either, if they both had another model they drew on. But I want to read this prayer uh, as uh, something of a meditation for this homily. Uh, it begins, O Lord, grant that I may meet all that the coming day brings to me with spiritual tranquility. Grant that I may fully surrender myself to thy holy will. At every hour this day, direct and support me in all things. Whatsoever news may reach me in the course of the day, teach me to accept it with a calm soul and firm conviction that all is subject to thy holy will. It's twice, first one that I may be subject to thy will, that all is subject to thy holy will. And then it goes on, direct my thoughts and feelings and all my words and actions and all unexpected occurrences, which is pretty much everything all day, and all unexpected occurrences, do not let me forget that all is sent down from thee. Grant that I may deal straightforwardly and wisely with every member of my family, neither embarrassing nor saddening anyone. That, that sort of became a theme for me when my children were young. Try to remember that, not to embarrass or sadden them. And when you had teenage daughters, pretty much anything you did would embarrass them. Uh, I remember at a certain stage, both of my daughters forbidding me to use illustrations from their lives in my sermons. So and I had to quit, I had to pretend I didn't know them. But uh, direct my thoughts and feelings and all my words and actions and all unexpected occurrences to not let me uh, forget that all is sent down from thee. O oh Lord, grant me the strength to endure the fatigue of the coming day. I greatly appreciated the fact that this prayer expected fatigue. Right? Uh, how orthodox. Um, to endure the fatigue of the coming day and all events that take place during it. Direct my will. Teach me to pray, to believe, to hope, to be patient, to forgive, and to love. Amen. Beautiful prayer. Uh, as I recall, when I first ran into it and then began to share it with others, it was sort of nice. They enjoyed it until they got to a place where they choked. Uh, and the place where they choked uh, was this. Uh, direct my thoughts and feelings and all my words and actions here. In all unexpected occurrences, do not let me forget that all is sent down from thee. And they choked. It's sort of a sense, oh my goodness, we have fallen into Calvinism. And, uh, oh, oh Lord, help me. It's all sent down from you. There's no hope. And, uh, 
which is quite actually just the opposite. All is sent down from him, so there's absolute hope always and in all things. Uh, this, which I say comes from the, uh, the last elders of Optina Monastery. Optina Monastery uh, was a great center of the Jesus prayer and of uh, the spiritual life in Russia in 19th century, especially late 18th, 19th century. Dostoevsky went there. Tolstoy went there. Didn't help him. But anyway, I mean, they, they, this was a great center. Many, many uh, uh, you know, leading figures uh, in Russia uh, would go to Optina. They had a long chain of holy elders there. Um, but, um, and it was actually those holy elders, uh, particularly St. Ambrose, who was sort of a model for Dostoevsky's, uh, the elder Zosima. So this is, you know, this great monastery. Uh, so, but they're just echoing something that you will find throughout the fathers all the way back that all is sent down from God according to his holy will. Now, the, as I say, there's sort of a fear when you hear a thing like that that you've fallen into Calvinism like it's already planned. You know, uh, I remember flying on a plane coming out of Dallas uh, uh, one, one year and I had on, uh, on there was... On my right, a, a, a lovely young blonde lady, uh, don't remember her name. To her right, there was a young man from an evangelical seminary in Dallas. And we're flying on the plane, and the plane starts hitting bad, buffeting airs, and she's white knuckling. Every time we'd hit a bump, she'd go, whoo! You know, it was kind of interesting. And uh, at a certain point, just her fear is there, and the young evangelical turns to her and says, you don't need to worry about this plane. God has a plan for my life, and it cannot go down. <laughs> and I turned to her in my cassock and beardly glory and said to her, I have served the Lord for over 40 years, and he can take me anytime he wants. <laughs> and she went, whoop. <laughs> It all comes from God. It all comes from God. But we worry, we hear in that, that he's got a plan and there's nothing I can do about it and, you know, and everything is mapped out, it's predestined, and we, you know, kind of balk at those sorts of things in prayers. But in fact, that's not at all what it means and what we proclaim in the Orthodox faith. What we are proclaiming in the Orthodox doctrine of providence and this is deep, deep, deep. In fact, in, in St. Dionysus, 5th century, uh, he writes continuously about providence and in fact says this is the way that we encounter the divine energies. That is God's will and working is working always uh, towards our salvation. But the, 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 uh, the real core of it is that we believe that God is working in and through all things for our good because he is a good God. He's a good God, Scripture says, and he's not willing that any should perish. Whatever's happening in your life, it's not there to destroy you. Whatever is happening in your life, it's not there to do you harm. Whatever is happening in your life, and there's some terrible stuff that happens. This is not a Pollyanna view of the world. I mean, these things are written by people in a much earlier time where death surrounds them every day. This faith of the, uh, of the fathers is a faith and a proclamation about the world at a time when they were actually being persecuted and not simply talking about it on the internet. 
Real persecution. Talking about lions eating real people. Okay? Not make-believe and worries and anxieties. But, and they, they confessed, they taught. Paul, with all the, because several weeks back we had Paul list his sufferings. Golly, gee, you know, a couple of shipwrecks and beaten with the, you know, 40 stripes and all of these things going on, stoned and left for dead, you know, all of this. And Paul will write and say that, uh, that we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and called according to his purposes. All things work together for good. You know, that this is, he's, he's working. And even, it'll say in the sixth chapter of Luke that God is kind to the evil and the unjust. Or in another place in Matthew that he makes his reign to fall on the good and the evil. It's, God is good to us all. I mean, apparently he's really good to a lot of evil people. I mean, really, really good. They get rich. I mean, my older brother used to said, say to me, I wish he would be good to me like that. And I think, you don't want it. You don't want it. But he is a good God. And we can believe this. This is... Uh, this is a core matter of our faith, something to be settled in our hearts. I mean, I mean, I know how we live. We get troubled, we get worried, we read news, we hear rumors, we hear theories, we hear all of these things, and our hearts get carried away with this, and we forget this most fundamental element of our faith. First off, Christ has been crucified, dead, and is raised from the dead. The worst thing that could possibly happen has already happened. They killed God, and it didn't work. Okay? The worst that could happen has already happened. The end of history, how everything turns out, the end of history is in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That is the end of history. That is God's great period. Pascha. Pascha is the meaning of all things. And so we settle this in our heart. Who am I? I am buried with Christ in his baptism. I have been raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul, who's able to deal with all of this stuff, says, I uh, die daily. I am crucified with Christ. We settle this. God is a good God and he's at work in all things. And so we come to our gospel story today. We have a lawyer that is an expert in the Jewish law. And he says to Christ, what's the greatest commandment? This is like rabbi test 101. Let's see if Jesus has got some theological chops or not. So what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, well, how do you read it? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and all thy mind. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus says, you got it. You get an A. And then it says the lawyer seeking to justify himself. That is kind of, see if I can't get a little refinement on the point here. says, but who, who is my neighbor? You know, and it's interesting. The story Jesus tells uh, is, you know, the story, famous story of the good Samaritan who does goodness. And he asked when it's all said and done, who was the neighbor to the man who was hurt? And he said, but the man who had mercy on him. It's interesting, by the way, neighbor, what does it mean? Who is my neighbor? I mean, it could be you're like your next door person, yes. In, in Greek, though, the word for neighbor just means the, word, the one that's near, whoever's near. So the Samaritan, who's not from around there, uh, 
This was on the road to Jericho, this, or Jericho to Jerusalem. This happens as it's not near Samaria at all. The Samaritan is walking along and sees a man who has been beaten and robbed and is wounded. He's kind of been left to die on the side of the road. And he becomes neighbor to the man. Why? Because the man was near. He was next to him. And he did, if you will, the next good thing. The others passed him by, doubtless reasoning in themselves, you know, sort of like, what do I owe this man? You know, I don't know him. He's a stranger. Maybe he's gotten in a fight and he had it coming to him. You know, maybe, you know, maybe he shouldn't have been carrying money so obviously when he was walking here. Maybe he shouldn't have been dressed so nicely. Maybe, 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 maybe he's not my neighbor. You know, neighbor, uh, in that sense, they're trying to figure out a relationship. Like, do I owe him? In the South, we play the game of neighbors, that is, of relatives. We ask people, who are you? Where are you from? Want to know who your family is? It's kind of like, if you're actually a cousin of mine, that I might owe you something. You know, that's it's an awful game. But in this, the sort of the playing of the game, what do I owe him? You, you don't owe him nothing. He's your neighbor. He's the one who's near. This is uh, learning to live life in the nearness of God, who is working all things together for our good. And the good he's working in your life is right next to you. It's near you. It's next at hand. I've been writing repeatedly lately telling people, do the next good thing. Keep the commandments of Christ. Oh, but Father Stephen, there's a, an apocalypse coming. I don't even care. You don't even know that. No holy elder out there even knows such things, despite the writings that you'll see. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make anything further away from you. You still have the next good thing. Just do the next good thing. Because it's, it's your neighbor. I'll talk to you later. It's your neighbor, the next near thing. He's there at hand. In your day, in your day, God gives you opportunity. All things are sent down from above. He'll send you neighbors, near people. Uh, sometimes they're your family, your friends, your co-workers, the strangers, the stranger on the street, uh, the needy, whatever is near at hand. Um, he has placed us here to be the light of the world. Near to us is the darkness to whom we should be light. We don't need to enter into the questioning of does this person deserve it? Did they have it coming to them? If I help them, will they waste it, spend it in a silly manner like I did yesterday? I mean, we don't have to ask these questions. These are not our questions. Jesus gives us commandments. And the commandments are clear and simple. Do good to those, even to those who hurt you. And be kind, be generous. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the one who's next to you. And let God be in charge of bringing the next one 
and the next one and the next one. He has placed us here and as agents of his goodwill. And he's working all good things. Will bad things happen in our world? Well, they always have. They always have. Will they? Apparently, until it's all said and done. Um, but if we do uh, the commandments of Christ, we have been given the commandments that are life. Uh, they don't explain the big picture because the picture is what's next to you and near at hand. Uh, God give us grace to be neighbors and to love them. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.